up, everyone? Welcome back to Moonlight Game Devs, the podcast where game developers share the story behind their latest games and the lessons learned with their fellow developers. Today, I had a chat with Bogdan Radu of Low Poly Interactive, who shared the story behind the development of Viking Vengeance, an upcoming ARPG, and how they approached developing such a you know large and ambitious project with a four-man team. So, I hope that you guys enjoy the episode and learn something from it. Bogdan Radu. Welcome to the show. I'm Bogdan, the founder of Low Poly Interactive, uh, the studio that is building Viking Vengeance ARPG. As you know, Mark, uh, we have to wear many hats as indie game devs, mm-hmm. probably the most hats in the in any industry, if we were to compare it with movies or uh, music or any kind of entertainment. So um, what I mean to say is um, I'm, I would like to present my team most of us are doing many, many tasks, many... Um, Filling many different roles in the, in the company. Exactly, many different roles in the company. Our team is made out of old friends and colleagues um, from the Warcraft 3 Moodin Gira. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are based all over the world. Um, we have Lucian, who is our very passionate and skilled um, game designer, a 3D modeler, and concept artist. He's basically the brain behind the story and the characters, the concepts, the builds, the quests. We also have uh, Daryl, who is our very talented main animator, and Machuji, who is our tester and secondary animator. So it's a, it's a four-man team? Uh, yes, four-man team. Four, four-man team. I am the team manager, uh, game developer, head of marketing, and trying to do as many things I can, like UI, UX, secondary modeler, animator when needed. You know how it is. <laughs> yeah, for sure. There's, there's many, many roles to fill. Can you tell us a little bit about like kind of the origin story there? You kind of hinted at it that you guys caught into like Warcraft modding. Is that correct? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. We've met like 10 years ago, all big fans of okay. Warcraft and the, the world editor of uh, Warcraft. I'm not sure if you, if you played with it back then. Um, you could build quite a lot of uh, custom maps with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally started by creating custom 3D models for Warcraft as a hobby, of course, which um, led us to create an online community of 3D modeling beginners. Back then, in, in 20, 20, 2010, it was called Low Poly Workshop. Oh, we are basically preparing for this, I guess, <laughs> without even knowing. You know, I would love to know that transition of, you know, you guys. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. So let me continue. Then, then, um, uh, I personally used to make uh, basic tutorials while I was learning to do the 3D stuff for Warcraft. Uh, we started ho- hosting 3D contests, uh, and then we even created our own Warcraft 3 mooding uh, community forum. Uh, we decided to build a co- to build this community to collaborate on hobby projects easier. Mm-hmm. Um, back then, I was still a student in the navy, but I quickly realized that I was more addicted to uh, creating uh, custom maps and stuff like that. So I started getting offers to create three D models for various games, mostly mobile titles. Mm-hmm. Um, I was since I was specialized in low poly modeling. Um, In time, I got to work as graphic designer and animator as well. My friends were having our team, uh, the other team members were getting 
other kind of jobs or continuing their uh, studies. Um, and after years and years of each of us doing their own stuff, you know, we got together again. I, I basically had experience with uh, game uh, development mostly on mobile platforms. I even founded my own mobile company, mostly working on casual games and gathering experience with hundreds of small titles. Everything basically led back to the um, computer and PC consoles game development. Can you tell us a little bit about that? You know, what led you from creating mobile games into the traditional kind of, I guess you could say traditional mediums for, for games? Sure, sure. Um, two years ago, basically, I've decided to follow my dream of creating an RPG for PC and consoles. Mm-hmm. This was a dream since I was a kid. I even tried to build one back in school, back in the Flash game era, if you remember that. Yeah, a little but, bit. Yeah, but obviously I was overwhelmed back then and uh, thought that I could never do that. But now, 16 years later, I'm trying to prove that kid wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, we basically uh, were preparing for this our entire lives. As scary as it is, because it's a complex kind of project, uh, and we made a lot of mistakes, a lot of lessons learned. We've met a lot of new people as well. Uh, So far, it's an amazing ride, very enjoyable, and it's really awesome to build something from scratch and see people becoming interesting, joining your Discord server, getting your posts viral, and so on. Mm -hmm. I mean, for us, that was very encouraging, for sure, and kept us going. Was it, was it hard? Like you already had that kind of games entrepreneurial background of founding your own games company. Was it difficult to get your, you know, your friends on board with this as well? Like, you know, what was your situation at the beginning? Did you guys all go full time or did you kind of do it as a side project? Uh, for me, it was full time from the beginning. I've mm-hmm. also got our game designer and main character builder and modeler on board full time. Uh, our other two members, the the animator and the tester slash animator, <laughs> they are uh, using it as a side job. Mm-hmm. And um, it was very difficult because uh, the markets are totally different, uh, different users. Uh, development time is much, much longer. I mean, I used to build a mobile game in maybe two months or one month and launch it. Uh, oftentimes, even faster than that, used to be maybe... 10 or 20 games a month using various templates back in the day. <laughs> so spending two years on one single game without any uh, revenue, you know, uh, yeah. very easy. Uh, but when you're passionate, I guess you, you make it happen somehow. We are lucky to, uh, to still have revenue coming in from the old games, the old mobile games that are basically mm-hmm. funding this, this project as well as my savings. <laughs> right, so is that is that kind of, you, you know, that revenue you you have from the early games is your primary source of funding, you're, you're kind of bootstrapped in that you don't really have uh, any sort of outside investment or is there yes. something like that going on? Uh, no, no, no. We have uh, had discussions uh, before with some investors and publishers, but we've decided so far to go um, at it al- alone and uh, self-fund. This way, trying to to be as independent as possible and make sure our decision is final in most of the gameplay aspects and community building ways. What kind of what kind of deal would you need to to accept funding? 
Well, uh, that's, just that's hypothetically. Difficult. That's a very difficult question. Uh, one I've actually asked myself a lot these days um, as we were in uh, talks with big uh, publisher, big indie publisher. Um, I will have to get back at you with this actually <laughs> because I don't have an answer. It's very difficult. I didn't expect it to yeah. be so difficult. Actually, at some point I was like, if some uh, big publisher comes and offers us a certain amount of money, I would uh, take it to, to continue funding and continue the game. But um, uh, after you actually receive offers, uh, it, it, you realize it's not that easy to to decide <laughs> as you thought initially, you know? Yeah, I can imagine that. And I, you know, I, especially I think in our last interview, um, the one before this, Mm-hmm. Uh, there was also someone who, who talked about, you know, taking being offered even a million for for a project and and, and still being hesitant because, yeah, you always oh, wow. hoping for hoping for uh, for that big hit that you know you don't 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 give away any revenue and yeah, um, yeah, yeah. and you hope to do it all by yourself, right? And yeah, against uh, your mar- market strategy to be the one that's the winner and so on. <laughs> I I can imagine it being really tough. Yeah. So yeah, tell us like a little bit about you know the game idea. I guess like okay. how did you come up with it? You mentioned there that you had like a a passion of of creating an, an RPG, but you know what made it Viking Vengeance and and what kind of made the game special and you follow you following through with with the idea that you had there. Okay, so um, I have to to give uh, credit where it's due uh, to our game designer Lucian, who is very passionate about our team as Vikings. Um, he pitched this idea to me and convinced me uh, it was definitely worth doing and that we have great stories to tell here. Mm-hmm. So uh, Viking Vengeance is the roguelite RPG in, u- in which you use the Norse gods to help you in battle. Uh, their help could consist either in um, starting natural cataclysm, sending them your way to crash your enemies, or uh, in powerful buffs that give you the upper hand, or if you have enough devotion from the gods uh, that you've unlocked, uh, you can actually turn into their avatars for a short period of time, um, gaining access to new skill sets, huge stats, and destroy- that makes that uh, will make destroying your enemies much easier. This also changes the scene of the fight and the way you fight. Um, so you don't only receive big boosts in your stats and uh, new skills, but uh, you will notice that, for example, if you play Thor, um, random thunders will fall uh, will fall on the ground and burn stuff, you know, like wood or other characters. Um, so it will be more chaotic, as well as Thor, for example, when he hits an enemy, he will. Uh, throw that enemy back, you know, so you can use mm-hmm. that to throw enemies off of cliffs or stuff like that or into spikes. So this is not just an aesthetic uh, change that is happening, but it also changes the gameplay as well as offering you a new set of skills. Um, basically, you can unlock idol statues that bring you new deities to pray to, and uh, you can use such idols as altars to bring blood offerings for a variety of gains and boosts. Um, you are encouraged to use the environment and game physics in your favor uh, in Viking Vengeance to try to gain the upper hand in combat, like uh, 
for example, pushing enemies or using falling rocks or uh, cutting down trees over enemies and destroying platforms, making the enemies sitting on them fall. Uh, you mm -hmm. can set the environment on fire, use traps uh, to facilitate you eliminating your targets more easily. Um, we have a lot of gore and violence in the game, as you probably have seen in the in the video. Yeah. Um, in combat, for example, you, you can execute enemies when they reach a certain threshold of health. Um, this will make them explode, depending on how powerful your execution is. And this will also give you more blood that you can collect to offer as a sacrifice on the altars. But using this strategy also comes at a cost. You will lose their uh, normal drops, like if they were to drop some equipment or runes or stuff like that, executing them and making them explode uh, will basically lose those uh, advantages. Mm. Uh, we also have, a, a, we like to think, a unique death system. Uh, being roguelite in Viking Vengeance, uh, death will come at a price with uh, two different paths to choose from when you die. You can either revive on the spot, keeping your current progress and items, but paying a high price of blood. Uh, or you can return to your last saved position, uh, restarting the entire world, losing your temporary items and uh, quest progress. Well, why would I do the la the latter? Just out of curiosity, like the, the complete reset, just because I wanted to restart or? Mostly because you won't have blood. Right. Okay, well, thanks for sharing like the, some of the systems there. And, and it's really, you know, it looks like a really deep, you know, deep game RPGs, especially ARPGs. There are often, you know, a lot of items and, and um, mm -hmm. interesting leveling up systems like you, you mentioned there and different abilities. So I would just love to know, like, how did you guys kind of approach the project management there in kind of planning the development of such a, a large game? Mm -hmm. um, did you do it kind of in an agile way or did you really map out the all the things you wanted in there and, and kind of work it down that way like how did you guys approach that yeah we didn't use the agile system we went old school just preparing the documents mm -hmm. uh, preparing uh, every aspect having many talks many chats on discord as well as video calls um, preparing uh, step by step you know we started with the core built on that uh, started preparing the quests and their flow, the drops, the um, equipment, the every skill, uh, every character, every enemy uh, has basically its own unique uh, document. Was there any point where you guys thought, you know, um, you guys realized, you know, maybe we had to scale down certain things or make cuts, or you maybe you had some ideas at the beginning, but during your planning phase, you realized, you know, um, that didn't really... That kind of increased the scope too much. Um, mm -hmm. And how did you guys approach those decisions? Okay, that's a very good question, and you actually could see the you could see this coming, I guess. But yeah, <laughs> uh, we were thinking in the beginning to, of adding a multiplayer uh, mode, uh, even from the beginning. Uh, but now we are considering it. And depending on what people say and think about the idea, uh, we might add it as a free update in the future. 
This mm-hmm. was just one of the example. Um, other examples uh, were the um, the ways we built the um, the equipment. So uh, instead of creating a huge variety of uh, equipment uh, equipable, equipable items like Diablo, for example, uh, we have um, only a few uh, less than two hundred items in total to be equipped. Uh, that mm-hmm. you receive at certain levels. At certain le- levels, you'll receive um, certain rewards to choose from. Uh, okay. You will either receive uh, certain stats or uh, skills or uh, talents for those skills or uh, items, different items, you know, different helmets, different armors, different weapons. Mm-hmm. And, um, this way, we, we made it um, possible to have a certain uh, passive runes that you can equip on your character uh, that bring you different passive skills, different abilities uh, to compensate basically that the fact that we don't have thousands of different uh, equipable items. Um, we, we use runes um, which you actually equip on your character, but they don't change the the look of your character. Yeah, that's that's a great some great insight there. Like kind of also how to, you know, use a system to kind of save on, you know, needing to create a lot of content. Cause I feel like even two hundred items is really difficult, like creating that much content in, in you know with a four man team. Yeah, um, for two classes in total. Two classes of uh, heroes. Is it two hundred items per per class or no no in total. Oh, okay. Equipable, okay. yeah. But we basically used uh, Hades as inspiration for this, since they were mm-hmm. uh, basically offering uh, such uh, passive items as rewards, and they were actually not using any uh, equipment that changed the, the look of the character. Yeah, I mean that work that works if you, um, if you you know, it's much easier to create, for example, like an icon for for a passive. Oh yeah, exactly, boost. exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, you save a lot of time, uh, even if it does add um, different stats or different uh, skills to you. Um, yeah, it saves a lot of time and costs. I think I can imagine, for example, also the target audience for, for example, an ARPG or kind of a deep uh, roguelike like Hades. You know, they are more concerned about um, stats grinding and you know, not so much yes, maybe yes. About, about the, the look, yeah. And maybe temporary items that you, you lose when you die. Yeah, how, how, like out of curiosity, I know that you guys uh, went for, for like the low low poly look, which makes makes mm-hmm. sense. It's very high detail, actually, I must say. It's it's mm-hmm. high low poly. Yeah. Um, yeah, it actually is. You're right, you're right. Um, like how did you guys, uh, how long does it take you guys kind of to produce your assets? You know, do you guys have a, like a pipeline or something like that? Something to make sure your game looks, uh, consistent and has a certain style. Uh, yes, uh, indeed. Lucian has uh, a pipeline for creating the characters, for example, uh, their items, their, um, we use many characters, um, bases for, uh, different enemies, for example, this way, we also save uh, animation time and costs, and uh, we are just more productive this way. So you can animate, for instance, an outlaw with uh, the same rig as a priest. 
you know, and that one base character could have like 100 animations on it. And this way, instead of animating and rigging each character each time you build one, uh, you save a lot of time. Yeah. Because they basically look the same without the, the armors or the helmets, you know, they are human beings inside. But we also have different uh, races, like uh, giants, dwarves, so uh, skeletons. They they need different rigs, but we try to keep it to minimum. Yeah, that makes sense because yeah, rigging is is one of the more time intensive things as well. Yeah, exactly. Especially when you have hundreds of characters of enemies uh, with small differences, like changed hairs or changed beards or changed clothes. You know. Uh, yeah. When they f- uh, look aesthetically aesthetically similar, but they have different skills and different abilities, uh, you can use the same rig to save time. Is there any kind of tips that you have that maybe you didn't mention yet that kind of help you create content quickly? You know, whether it's kind of the passive abilities that don't have any visual sort of props for your character, or um, using reusing the same rigs. Is there anything else that you kind of kind of do, sort of like a hack to? Um, you know, save some time and money when creating the content for your game. Uh, we try to use um, to retexture when you when we can. Um, mm-hmm. We try to make uh, the systems as modular as possible to be able to quickly create new skills or items. Other than the character way of uh, using the same rig, I. I I can't say we've done something really impressive, but we are trying to keep it as modular as possible yeah, and uh, as reusable as possible from one scene to another. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, even we, I can say that one system we've done that is really modular and easily applied to all maps, uh, depending on the surface. For example, we try to create a immersive sound effect system that is not mm-hmm. yet uh, seen in the videos, but we'll post a trailer soon with it when uh, where you you will hear unique combinations of sounds every time depending on the surface you hit and the surface mm-hmm. of the weapon you attack with right um, same goes with the surface you walk on uh, and uh, uh, creates different sounds every time uh, depending on how you walk on what kind of e- equipment you wear um, this was easily applied to all surfaces in game uh, like w- one thing I wanted to know is also like you guys are are a distributed team, mm-hmm. and you mentioned as well that you kind of wear many hats. Is that like a, a problem for you guys in terms of getting organized? You know, um, maybe having some people doing many things and and maybe losing track as well of who's working on what and and uh, um, also the component of being a fully remote team. Um, how has that kind of experience been, and what have you guys learned from from that? Well, we always have been a fully remote team i personally always uh, worked uh, remote so for us this part uh, wasn't that difficult Um, in the team uh, we actually have totally different main roles so we don't really overlap Mm -hmm. yeah we know for example uh, daryl will be animating certain character he's actually uh, animating Valkyries as we speak. Um, we know Lucian, for for example, now is preparing uh, the the art for the story from the for the loading screens. I'm the only one doing the code work, 
So mm-hmm. uh, for us, being such a small team, uh, it is easy to not uh, overlap or uh, lose sight of what each of uh, each of us is doing. Yeah, I was kind of curious if you know you guys actually had some overlap there, but given the you know how much time, really, how many yeah. things there are to do, <laughs> yeah, it seems like a good way when you guys are able to diversify like that. Then yeah, I'm, I'm curious how it will be if we will uh, grow the team in the future. Uh, we might get such problems indeed yeah one thing i want to talk about is kind of you guys sort of um go to market strategy like you guys mentioned there that you already have i think a discord as well are you guys already um kind of building a community around the game before releasing it oh yes indeed we 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 are in need of the support and encouragement that we've received from our community um, this was amazing. It really was the fuel we needed uh, these two years to work and give it our hundred uh, percent. Mm-hmm. Um, we even tried to get as involved as, and talkative as possible. For example, we've been hosting some uh, community contests. We just finished one of them actually, uh, which uh, lets people create their own boss character in the game with their own unique story uh, equipment. Uh, with their name, uh, they can choose a skill, a race. Uh, four people actually won this um, this contest. We we actually held two similar contests mm-hmm. with four winners, and we encourage people to get as um, creative as possible and as involved as possible in the project, because it's our first time building a such a project, and we are trying to to build it together with with uh, the community. So we encourage as many people to join our Discord channel if they like like stuff like that, because we are still trying to build a game with uh, the awesome community in mind. We also have different other things. For example, we will uh, honor some of the members as uh, non-playable characters in game uh, with their name and uh, facial uh, expressions you know yeah we're trying to get people as involved as possible in the project so yeah how how have you guys can kind of you know been finding your community i would love to know as well like um, have you guys been getting most of that traction through i guess sharing screenshots of the game or have you guys been going to conferences you know what has that been like for you guys well so so far most of the the people that joined us on discord or newsletters or stuff like that uh, they come either directly from the Steam page of the game mm-hmm. or from our more successful posts on uh, Imgur that went viral or from Reddit, from Twitter. We've we've had a lot of people coming from Twitter. Pretty much um, online uh, people. Uh, I mean, we only visited one or two such conferences. Uh, one last one was the Digital Dragons one hosted by Poland on Steam. And we did have some people coming through that channel. Mm-hmm. But uh, most of the people um, that joined us are either from Steam or Reddit or Twitter, stuff like that. We are trying to bring them in uh, with various contests, as I said, uh, to give them a reason to come and uh, stay and get involved. Yeah, that seems like a great idea as well. Uh, yeah, to, to just get people to you know, want to support you guys as well by, by getting, you know, putting something that they made into the game. That's mm-hmm. a, a great idea. We're trying to, trying to make it fun for everybody, you know, <laughs> not just <Yeah>. for us. 
like, how did you guys, uh, did you guys learn anything about kind of creating screenshots? Have you guys noticed a trend of, of what things did well on, for example, Imgur or Reddit? We've noticed that uh, colorful stuff are uh, impactful, that mm-hmm. they need to be dynamic. They need to be quite fast usually. So I would suggest, if I may suggest anything to other game developers, is to try to make their their game as GIFable as possible. Uh, right. GIFable, sorry. I'm not sure if mm-hmm. it's GIF or GIF. Um, <laughs> it, it's, a, it's a big debate. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, indeed. I, I remember now. So yeah. I won't take sides here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I would suggest uh, to make the game very GIFable and try to get it out there as soon as possible. For example... We've created our Steam page. I think I think after only four months of development, the game was still very bare bones. Mm-hmm. But we we tried to get on as fast as possible to to let people know as early in the development as possible about our progress. Maybe get some feedback, as well as uh, grow the community and uh, those wishlist numbers. Wow, that's really early. Yeah. Did, were you guys ever concerned with kind of um, the game direction just changing so so dramatically if, if you guys start uh, showing those early pictures? Or was your strategy kind of, you know, we want to show the pictures. If there's no real traction, we might pivot into like a different theme or art style. Or what was your kind of, uh, was it purely just trying to grow the community as quickly as possible? Uh, it was a combination of both, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were also uh, willing to, to see the, the reaction of people and what is their opinion, but trying to get uh, as many members as possible and as many people to see the the video as possible and the Steam mm-hmm. page. Uh, indeed, the game has changed since then. Uh, the the artistic direction, the gameplay, everything. When we look back to the to the old uh, posts, we are a bit embarrassed, but <laughs> that's how <laughs> we started. So, um, I think I think uh, in the end. Uh, it was uh, lucky to, to start posting. We were lucky to start posting so soon because uh, the longer you wait, the more anxious you get, the less um, confident in the product, especially if you don't share it with the public. So uh, I, I believe it would. the longer you wait, the, the harder it gets to start showing stuff, I believe. Yeah, that was great advice. Um, like what kind of things did you guys... Um, change or, or learn after sharing those first, I guess, screenshots? Um, or maybe was it also gameplay that you guys shared? Yes, we shared some. Uh, we we were trying to actually share on Twitter, for example, and Instagram. We were posting every new skill that we were adding, every new item, every new uh, small gif, you know, of maybe 10 <laughs> or 15 seconds. Uh, we were trying a daily thing back then. Wow, yeah. Yeah, it, it uh, we had to stop at some point because uh, yeah, it's a lot of work. It, yeah, planning for it and even recording it, it, it's not as easy as it sounds, you know. A lot of reshoots and stuff like that. Uh, but the cha- the game changed a lot. We've received a lot of valuable uh, feedback from people, like from the fact that now when you hit a character, you get a, a little bit of a screen shake. You know, the the hit is more satisfying. When you land a hit on an enemy, people told us in the past, in the first posts, that uh, they gave us different advices on how to do that, how to create a much more engaging experience. So we were very thankful for that and very lucky to get feedback early on because 
at some point you are quite quite biased. You you can't see stuff uh, when you're so involved in the product. You you lose sight of important stuff. I find that strategy is just so fascinating. Especially, I find it really smart as well because I think a lot of problems arise when you kind of wait too long. <laughs> and like you said, you wait like you build the game, the two year game, but you know no one's never seen it, and it's completely not what people want. Yeah, that would be hard. Yeah, so that's 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 really interesting. Can you give us kind of like the numbers of, of or like the the growth um, there in sort of like I guess the best metric would be like uh, Discord Discord users uh, in your community. Like, has it how has how has it been growing and and what kind of at what point are you guys right now? Uh, it has been growing uh, steadily. We've I think we've had the Discord server for a year now, if I'm not wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, with each new uh, post we've uh, created and each contest people have joined. Uh, for example, some contests were targeted, uh, were sending people to the to the Steam page. Others were sending. So we also we managed to get a lot of wish lists. That is our uh, uh, biggest number. Yeah. But the Discord members, they are very high quality members that we really appreciate, and we are tailoring these contests um, uh, around them. We have uh, 30, uh, 330 people, I believe, on Discord. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. A couple of, of, of thousands of uh, users on uh, Twitter, followers on Twitter. About uh, 20,000 uh, wish lists on Steam. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the big number. <laughs> yeah, uh, and a few hundred uh, newsletter subscribers. So uh, we are really happy with the numbers. I mean, we are a small team. I believe uh, we got pretty lucky with such big numbers. Yeah, those are decent numbers for for indie studio for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like it seems like you know the contests are working. I like the idea of kind of redirecting or setting a, a destination kind of like you said for for the contest directing people to for example your wish lists or yeah we've been trying out experimenting stuff to see which converts better which is easier for uh, users to do we are still undecided indecisive uh, <laughs> we need more de- data <laughs> right we will continue to try different uh, contests and see what people like so yeah um you already like shared a lot of interesting information uh, I just want to like kind of ask a few questions at the end, kind of reflection questions. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess like one of the first ones, which is a, l- a little bit bit random, but um, if you weren't working on on Viking Vengeance, uh, what game would you be working on? As a hypothetical question, that, that's an interesting one because I was actually considering since we are coming from the Warcraft three um, era, I was mm-hmm. actually considering an uh, RTS. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, I believe there is still um, a good niche there. Maybe not for AAAs, but uh, for indie, I'm sure there are still a lot of Steam users that would like to, to play RTSs, even in 2020. Yeah. What does is, what is like a day in your life look like? Like, how, wow. give us like a look at your average day. Is it possible? <laughs> yeah, it's easy. It's repeatable. Uh, it's... Uh, <laughs> Is like 12 or 14 or 16 hours of just sitting on the sofa with the notebook on my lap and mm-hmm. coding and trying and uh, <laughs> fixing and talking to the team. 
and talking to the Discord members. That's mm. all I do these days. Two years of this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's that's yeah. That's the grind. Yeah, yeah. Finally, I would love to just know like the top three um, lessons learned from developing Viking Vengeance so far. Oof, don't underestimate um, how long uh, different things would will take you. Mm-hmm. Um, as I said, try to get out there as fast as possible and with videos and especially in the, I mean, Facebook, Twitter, we all know those are bring less traffic these days. So try to get on Reddit as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, try to plan your game for a variety of platforms, not just for a PC. In my view, mm-hmm. it will uh, decrease your risks. And of course, uh, try to create a game that um, brings as many as. Um, don't try to create uh, League of Legends. Don't try to create I don't know Dia- Di- Diablo three. <laughs> <You know, laughs> just try to to know that you are an indie and your resources are limited, both in time and money. And mm-hmm. um, don't take something. Uh, don't overestimate yourself like we did. <laughs> Because it's hard to build something very complex. Uh, we had to, as I told you, do some uh, stuff as well to reduce the time uh, and the cost. So, yeah, just try to be as uh, as cautious as possible. Yeah, that's very, very solid, very good evergreen advice there. And, uh, yeah, f- thanks for, for being so honest and, and yeah, um, sharing that. So... Bogdan, um, finally, can you tell us like where do you, where can people find you? Find out more about the game and just any, share anything else that you want the audience to kind of know about. Thank you very much for your time and for the invitation again. Um, people could wishlist Viking Vengeance on Steam. They could join our Discord channel. Uh, they could find it easily, I believe. Uh, especially mm-hmm. if they want to take part in our contests and get the chance to live in an RPG forever. Or if they just want to hang out with the developers and many cool members that we have there. Thanks for listening to this show. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please consider leaving a review and subscribing on whatever platform you're listening to. For more game development content, head on to moonlightgamedevs.com. I hope you have a great week and join me for the next episode.